0: If you love comedy movies and Hollywood satire, you're going to want to listen to a brand new
1: podcast called Get It to Dutch. In Get It to Dutch, we play three aspiring screenwriters on a quest to get a script to big-time Hollywood producer Dutch Huxley. Each week on the podcast, we perform a movie script right before your ears. It's like going to a movie with your eyes closed. And we have amazing
0: guest stars, including Tim Robinson, Rob Hubel, Lily Sullivan, Jamie Moyer, and Weird Al Yankovic.
1: Listen to Get It to Dutch, a screenwriter's journey starting May 9th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been! As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke.
3: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
7: This is Jenna Fisher. I played Pam Beasley.
5: Hello, folks. Thank you so much for joining me here today. That's right, she's back. This is the Office Deep Dive, and I am your host, Brian Baumgartner. Today, I am so thrilled to be bringing you the second half of my conversation with Jenna. And this time, we are diving right in to the good stuff. That's right, the real reason you're all here, Jim and Pam. P, B, and freaking J. Now, over the years, Jenna and John have been asked approximately 8 billion questions about Jim and Pam's relationship. So I have to say I almost didn't even want to ask them about it. <laughs> but but I did. And I was blown away by how interesting it was to talk about. Jenna in particular shared so many incredible insights into their relationship and and what made it unique on television and why she and John are actually not a couple in real life. And trust me, they are not. Anyway, that is just the beginning. This conversation was so fascinating. As every conversation with Jenna is, I cannot say enough good things about her. So, go ahead and welcome to your ear holes, Ms. Jenna Fisher. Bubble and squeak
1: I love it, bubble and squeak. I know, bubble and squeak. I cook it every moment left over from the night before.
5: I was literally laying in bed last night thinking about this. Like, if you think about the office as like a person or a, a body or something. Pam was the heart and your relationship with so many different people. Well, with everybody, but really those three, you know, Jim and Dwight and Michael. Yeah. Um, obviously the relationship with Jim. Why do you think that that relationship resonated so much with, with audiences?
7: Oh, I think it's the unrequited love. I think we've all been there. We've all been in love with someone who either didn't love us, or couldn't love us, or because of circumstances, or distance, or whatever these things were, were keeping us from being able to fully express our feelings, the longing. And then I think, additionally, the clear chemistry between the characters, that you could see that they were meant to be together, and you just rooted for them.
5: Absolutely. But I think that there was also something... About your performance and John's performance, you showed such heart and vulnerability that I think people were really rooting for you, whether they had found what they wanted to or not.
7: Well, I think both Pam and Jim are very good people. They're polite. That's one of the reasons why it takes them so long. And uh, I think you always want the good guy to win. So I think you did want them To find one another and be together. It's hopeful.
5: Right. Um, Nothing throughout the entire history of the show brought production to a screeching halt like a a big Jim Pam moment.
7: It's true. And
5: I say that with love and also with utter (laughs) frustration. It, um,
7: Yeah, we really, really cared. I mean, John and I would fight hard for what we believed. And we were usually on the same page with Jim and Pam. We were had like a singular mind when it came to Jim and Pam for the most part. There was often one Jim-Pam moment per episode and it was either where they're going to connect in some super special swoony way or they're going to misstep in some way where one of them gets their feelings hurt. And there was this very fine line that we had to walk all the time. So, for example... Shooting a scene over and over and over again where this time they can touch hands, but then we have to do one where they don't touch hands because it might be too much when their hand, if their hands touch. That might be going too far. Or do we end it with a hug? Or should he kiss her cheek before he leaves? Like, all of these little ways, how much were they allowed to literally touch one another, look in each other's eyes, swoon at each other? I mean, we would, we would spend hours debating and shooting alternates of these Jim-Pam scenes.
5: Yeah, and ours is not an exaggeration. It is not
7: an exaggeration. No,
5: but what's amazing is this wasn't like mystical producers in another land talking <laughs> about it. This was you and John who were, were in were there we fighting we too indulgent?
7: It. Oh, <laughs> oh, that was a trick question. <laughs> no,
5: no, not at all. No, I mean, I think it speaks to the the two of you as artists, but I think that there's also the camera as a character. And what I recall is you and John specifically with Greg or Ken or one of the other directors, you know, the, t- sort of two major questions. Who is seeing this moment? Is the camera seeing this moment? And how does that change my behavior in yes. this moment? And those were the things that I feel like well brought production to a screeching halt.
7: This was one of the most fun elements of working on our show was this camera as a character. because. This idea that when you know the camera is filming you, it affects your behavior. It certainly affects Michael's behavior. When he knows the camera is on him, he performs for the camera. He does things like makes giant declarations and pledges of money to Oscar's nephew's walkathon in front of the camera. But then when he doesn't know that the camera is shooting through the blinds, he tries to talk his way out of it. So that is so fun to play. And similarly with Jim and Pam, how do Jim and Pam behave when they know they're being watched and observed, and then how do they behave with one another when they can't see the camera, when the camera is deep in the kitchen shooting through the blinds? I absolutely loved those nuances. Those were some of the most fun things to play with on our show.
5: Yes. Well, and when I directed, and I'm not just saying, well, when I directed to get in the fact that I directed, but... There was a moment uh, later on, season eight. Kathy, uh, Lindsay Broad yep. played Kathy, and Jim goes away to Florida, and Kathy's clearly trying to get the moves on him. It's taking place in Jim's bedroom, and we had to shoot. The only way to shoot the room was through the windows because if the cameras were in the room, we would not have gotten the interaction between Kathy and Jim that we ultimately wanted. But then there was a phone call.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: with Pam. you, with Pam, that happened there. And I remember sitting in – you weren't in Valencia. You were probably home.
7: Did I not come? Because I have a very vivid memory of being there when Jim was a smug bed bug. Was that your episode? Yes. Smug bed bug?
5: Smug bed bug, yes.
7: I have a memory of watching Rain and John crack up as John was a smug bed bug.
5: I think that you came for the phone call, but we had a huge – conversation about you were involved in what the interaction was between Kathy and Jim because John wanted you involved and you wanted to be involved and how that interaction, what that meant for your relationship with Jim. Yeah. Anyway, I think it just speaks to everybody wanting to get it right.
7: Yeah. We cared on this show very deeply. Everybody cared very, very much. And I think that started with Greg. Greg's heart was in this show, and you could tell. And he delighted. He delighted in getting it right. And, and we would shoot something, and we would all look over at the monitors at Greg and see if he was doing his little hand clap with his little <laughs> smile. And he puts his eyes up in the air. Ooh. You know, because that's when we knew we nailed it. And he was such a great barometer for that.
5: When did you when did you start realizing or noticing that Jim and Pam's relationship was becoming so important to people outside and was it infringing on your real life?
7: Well, realizing that my friend John and I couldn't go anywhere in public together as friends or else people would lose their minds. They didn't know how to deal with that. They didn't know how... And even today, people don't know how John and I are not a couple in real life. Right. They don't understand it. And I don't know how to explain it because it's a little bit like telling kids there's no Santa. It's like, I don't want to break anyone's heart. Right. So it's hard. Right. It's really hard.
5: You should just explain that he's a real pain in the ass in real (laughs)
7: life.
5: Why would you not just say that?
7: But that's weird. See, I have to, I feel like I have to justify why John and I which aren't actually in love. No, and I the know, bottom line is, is, we were playing characters. But I know that if people think of us as John and Jenna, then it's destroying some of the magic of Jim and Pam. But I'm not Pam in real life, and he's not Jim in real life. And in real life, we're mismatched. He is perfectly matched with Emily. And I'm perfectly matched with Lee. And you know us all both. And in fact, I feel like if anyone wants to marry anyone, they want to marry Emily or Lee. They don't (laughs) want to actually marry me or John. Is that a good description of why John and I are not a match in real life? Because you know us both.
5: Yes. I think that that's a great description. I also think, yeah, you both were playing characters. Mm -hmm. And I think that you... um, and you've expressed today how different you are from Pam. And John is different from Jim. People perceive you to be that. Even, you know, if someone has a couple of minute interaction with me, they're they're not going to mistake me for Kevin. Yeah. Um, and I
7: think that's so true of, like, Angela as well. Yes. Angela is, like, a bubbly cheerleader. She's your best friend in two minutes. She's so not the bitchy Angela Martin that she plays on mm. the show.
5: Yeah, mean most of the time.
7: Oh, come on.
5: Um, but, right. uh, but
7: I do see how John and I, the line is a little more blurred. Like yes. you can have an interaction with John and I and think maybe that we really are just like Pam or just like Jim. Yes. yes. Yeah.
5: Um. Okay. Do you have a favorite moment or moments between the two of you that you got to play together?
7: Yes. One of my first favorite moments is when we are up on the roof eating the grilled cheese sandwiches and you and Rain are doing – the fireworks out in the lawn. And that was super special because we had this skeleton crew. Everyone had gone home for the day and up until this point we had mostly only ever been shooting in a big group in the office with lots of people. And here it was, just me and John on some lawn chairs. It was a summer evening, like a warm breeze, candlelight. Greg is up on the roof. Just a couple of crew members were up on the roof, and it was like so peaceful up there, the five of us. And then watching you and Rain, who I believe we had no way of communicating with. None. Yeah. Just setting off fireworks. It just all felt really real and lovely. So that moment. Is one of my favorite moments.
5: And what I'm going to do is, I'm going to edit out you talking about Greg and the other two crew members up there, (laughs) because then you describing sitting there with John, that's why people think you're in love. That's so, it's a warm summer breeze, (laughs) and we're sitting in lawn chairs on the roof.
7: But some of it, like it's true, it's like, you know, Matt Soane is up on the roof and Greg is there, and we're all just, none of us can believe we're on the roof. No, I know. And we had to take this, they had this old rickety, rusted ladder that was on the side of the roof that everybody else climbed up. But since John and I were cast members, we weren't allowed. So They like forklifted us up there on this, wearing a weird harness. It was very funny.
5: Yes. Um, Were you worried when Pam and Jim got married that that was going to screw things up?
7: I wasn't because we had been together now for a couple seasons. Right. So I think the question was, can they get together? And be a stable couple, and will we still care? and um and i I remember having a conversation with Greg, where Greg was like, "Well, you know what's going to lose people is if we just keep manufacturing these affairs and these, you know, weird ways that we keep them apart. That's exhausting. And it's not realistic. And so what we're going to need to do is bring them together and then give them obstacles to overcome as a couple. So rather than obstacles that keep them from being a couple, give them obstacles to break through as a couple, like Pam wanting to go to art school, or Jim wanting to start his own business, or having their first kid, or whatever these things were, that they were going to have to weather the storm together, that that would be more interesting and more realistic. And people loved it.
5: I think that's so smart.
7: So smart because – but he said, you know what's not going to be satisfying is if they get together at the end of season nine after multiple affairs and like all this – like everyone's going to be like, yay, I guess. You know? Right. Congrats. I hope you enjoy your marriage with all your horrible baggage.
5: <laughs> well, totally.
7: Right? That's so That's smart. That's not a happy ending. I had never heard
5: That is so smart.
7: Yeah.
0: Hey everyone, this is Get It to Dutch, A Screenwriter's Journey. I'm Mark. I'm Greg. I'm Brendan. And in this new comedy podcast, the three of us play aspiring screenwriters on a quest to get a hit
1: Hollywood script to famous producer Dutch Huxley. Well, I would say one of us is aspiring and the other two are sort of struggling. Which one of us is aspiring? No, they're going to have to listen to the podcast. Hmm, but I don't know, and I made the podcast. Well, I made the podcast, and I think you guys were along for the
0: ride. Each week, we bring in a script, we read it, and then we give each other notes. And you'll also hear about our adventures navigating the Hollywood system. The show features
1: amazing guests like Tim Robinson, Lily Sullivan, Weird Al Yankovic, and Rob Hubel. And like any great blockbuster, it's filled with heartbreak,
0: adventure, suspense, and just a little tasteful nudity. And some distasteful nudity. Oh, uh, sorry about that, guys.
1: Listen to Get It to Dutch, a screenwriter's journey, starting May 9th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking
6: about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up.
3: <laughs> you couldn't believe it.
4: From iHeartPodcasts, Podcasts. It's
3: like the police knew who he was before they got here.
4: A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption.
1: We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish.
4: Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.
6: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host.
8: I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations.
3: It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit.
8: Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: Okay, so I talked again about sort of that emotional core, Dwight talk to me a little bit about the relationship between the two of you and how that changed and evolved. I mean, you were with Jim adversaries and made you crazy forever. And then ultimately by the end, he says that you're his best friend.
7: Dwight does. Dwight does. Oh, you know, I think it's that first episode, the injury when Pam has that line, Dwight is kind of my friend. But I think there's other things, you know, Jim and Pam spend so much time teasing Dwight. And I think even go too far a few times in my re-watching of the show. I think there's a few times when we're, we're, like, actually a little cruel to him that make me cringe. And I feel like, oh, that wasn't our best moment. But I appreciate because we allow our characters to... I mean, we don't all every day have perfect moments, right? Right. But... It's so hard for me to think about Pam's relationship with Dwight without thinking about my relationship to Rain. Right. Rain is a deeply soulful person. He's also like a curmudgeonly old man. He's real cranky sometimes. And on set, he would (laughs) be hilarious. Do you remember the time? Do you remember the time that he declared... Oh, my God. It was so funny. We were getting ready to shoot. And he said, hold on, wait, just hold on. Everybody hold on for a second. I have an announcement. Everyone on Mondays, you do not need to ask me how my weekend was anymore. All right. Every single person asked me how my weekend was. Just assume it was fine. We were like, "Where is this coming from, Ray?" Well, no, it was so I, I, and I I talked to him about this, and he goes, "Jenna, that is not true. I said that on a Tuesday. I said only ask me how my weekend was on Mondays. No more of this bleeding into Tuesday. Mondays enough."
5: He went crazy because you no, know, and and I know what he was talking about. I do too. It's, because it's five o'clock in the morning, and every single person that you pass is like hello, good morning. How was your weekend? Yes. And what he was saying was like, you don't have to talk to me. We just saw each other on Friday night. We're good. We're good. Yes.
7: It's so true. So he would be like that guy on the set. It was like so funny. But then at the same time, in moments of deep crisis, I have phoned him. I, I had a job offer that was going to take me out of town and would uproot my family for a period of time that I really wrestled with the decision. I called him and he counseled me. He is—he has that in him, a type of counselor. And um, I value him so deeply in my life. <laughs> but then like, like, he'll call me up and he'll be like, do you want to go to lunch? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, because you sound like you want to go so bad. (laughs) Like, is it a chore? Or do you want to go? He's like, no, I want to have lunch with you. Like, all right, let's go to lunch. And then you go to lunch. And I'm just sort of like, are you liking our lunch? Are we having a good lunch? (laughs) How are you? Tell me about you. And all Hello. Hi. Yeah. yeah. Hey.
5: Hey. (laughs) So
7: funny. But then, like, if I were to, do you know what I mean? So it's very much like the Pam Dwight, where Pam will, like, be like, oh, I love Dwight. I'm going to go say something nice to him. And then he'll just be like, Pam, something about knives. Yeah. Something about snakes <laughs> or bears. And she's like, yeah, okay, right, okay. But so I guess um, I feel deeply loved by Rain. And I think Pam felt deeply loved by Dwight as well. Like they had a real bond. They they really cared for one another. Eventually. Eventually. Yeah. Yeah.
5: Um. Well, and it's similar to your relationship with Michael, right? I mean – from where that relationship started and him fake firing you to him leaving and you you having sort of that final moment mm-hmm. with him, um, what did he say to you?
7: Well, it wasn't so much what he said to me. Um, Paul Feig directed that episode, Goodbye, Michael, and uh, we were at the airport and Paul Feig said, Jenna, I want you to just run up. And just say goodbye to Steve, your friend Steve. This is your last scene with him. So say goodbye. We're not going to use the sound. We're just going to have a spy shot on you. So I thought, okay. So I ran up to Steve, and I just told him all the ways I was going to miss him and how grateful I was for his friendship and the privilege of working with him. And I'm sobbing, and he's sobbing, and we're hugging. And and I didn't want to let him go, and I didn't want the scene to end. And then finally, Fee, you know, says cut, and he was like, "Jenna, that was that was brilliant. Can you do it again, but just a little faster?" Because it had been like five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, "We just need to tighten it up a little."
5: Because <laughs> they wanted him to actually walk he, away. He had to
7: go eventually, so they, and
5: they had one camera, yeah. so there was only one shot. It that was they a that they couldn't edit.
7: Yeah. A, oh, that is so great. Yeah, I was like, just tighten it up a little. <laughs> but sweetie, great job. Because like, you could tell I was like <laughs> sobbing.
5: Yeah, I've in thinking back, honestly, I, when he, Steve leaving to me was almost more emotional than the show ending.
7: Well, the thing is, is that it wasn't just the character of Michael that we were losing. We were losing the captain of our ship, Steve Carell. And I don't think that I can say enough how important him as our leader was because just the kind of man he is, his work ethic, his kindness, his generosity, there was no ego. And to be led with that, along with Greg's heart, it was very frightening to me that we were losing him. He was our compass that pointed us north and kept us all in line. And I really worried, what's it gonna be like on set without him? We just all agreed he was the most important person on set. And we always wanted the day to be easy for him. He had the most lines, he had the most work, he had to drive the show. And we all just collectively were there to support him. And he was so generous. I mean, I remember, I remember directors would come in. Who were new, and they wouldn't be able to find Steve, but he'd just be sitting on the couch by reception. We'd be like, "Oh, he's right there," because he was so he wasn't like a "and I'm here" yes. kind of guy, you know? Right? He was just, and and I and I say this because after working on the Office, I've worked on many projects where this is not the case, and I see how that infects a, a group of people when there is someone who is leading the ship, who is insecure and needs a constant ego boost. And it makes me even more grateful for how Steve was and how he is still. I also remember Will Ferrell coming in and guesting with us. And then I, I've i done movies with Will Ferrell and he's the same way. And I always thought, wow, they really have a competition for like greatest person to work for, <laughs> work with. <laughs>
3: right.
7: Steve and Will, just like nicest man in Hollywood. Right. But, um... So my biggest fear was even just what is the onset vibe going to be like without Steve? Not to mention, what stories are we going to tell? Who are we without right. this leader? And I'll say it here, and, and this is the only time I've ever really publicly said this, but it's always disappointed me that we didn't trust in our core office group enough to continue the show without bringing in what I think we thought we needed, which were these big guest actors to fill Steve's shoes. And I, and I always felt like fear drove some decisions to that. I, I, I don't know. Does that make sense?
5: It does make sense. Yeah.
7: I always wondered just what would that season have been like, like what we then got with season nine, where we said, no, we're enough. The bench is deep enough. Right. The talent is there. We can keep the ship afloat with what we have. Right. I don't know how you feel about that uh, season eight.
5: No, I, I hear what you're saying. I think that there was fear and, and what would happen if we didn't have someone else helming because being the boss changes the character. Yeah, so Dwight, as the boss, is not Dwight.
7: That's right. Dwight is the character who wants to be the boss. Who's Correct. always angling to be the boss, but who ha- does not actually have the authority. Right. So if you make him the boss, then who is that guy? So it does make sense that they felt like there needed to be
5: a and boss, a- Andy and that was as well. the
7: question: Who should be the boss? Well, right. This was the conversation: right. Who should be the boss? I mean, I remember being up in the writers' room and people asking me who i thought should be the boss and i was like guys i don't know i i i don't know who should be the boss
8: right they right. were
7: still trying to get like a cl- anybody's opinion like does anyone have a perspective on this
5: well and i think as a character it was jim i mean i think jim was the most i mean he was lazy he was this the most
7: well suited on a technical level to be promoted to that job correct right yes
5: in terms of his interaction with people, his ability to lead, yeah. and sort of inspire people, but I think then that messes up storylines in a way that they, <laughs> that they don't. For sure,
7: yeah. So I guess it, you know when you when when we get back to this, it is like okay, well we need some other force of nature to come in and be the boss of these people so that they can stay being them. Right. Yeah. I don't know. That was a, that was tricky, but we made it through. And we got some great episodes that season. Yes. And then we went into season nine, where we sort of just didn't have a boss for a while. Remember, Andy was our boss, but then he got lost he on the gone. boat. Yes. And then we just sort of, we were like, oh, here's an answer. Just <laughs> It's an empty office.
5: There's no regional <laughs> manager anymore. <laughs> um, what did you think about bringing the sound man, breaking the fourth wall and bringing Brian onto the show? Was there a... There was a major conference Many conferences. Many hour-long conferences. conferences.
7: So for season nine, John and I were producers. We were given those titles because we were brought in to really discuss the Jim Pam arc of the final season. And so we spent a lot of time up in the writer's room talking about all the beats of that story and what it would be. I did many on-camera auditions with various Bryans to be the boom operator and then many discussions about – who exactly it should be. There was this one actor who was just phenomenal, who just looked so much like John Krasinski that we had a whole discussion about whether or not he should look too much like John Krasinski, if that would feel like Pam, you know what I mean? And like all this stuff. And so anyway, I liked that storyline. I thought it was really interesting because another part of season nine was that we were going to release the documentary, that you were going to see what how it affects these people's lives, for them to see themselves in a documentary. And I think that's really great closure for the show as well. Perfect. Yeah.
5: I think it was an underrated ending of the show. I felt like Greg very clearly had a story that he wanted to tell.
7: Yeah. And I think that when you're live, that your anticipation, there's almost nothing that can meet your expectations. But I think if you go back and you watch it you see just the brilliance of how he tied it all up. Yeah. Truly.
5: Um, When did you find out that Steve was coming back for the finale? Did you know early on?
7: I feel like I almost always knew because John and I had been up in the writer's room talking about the finale and we were sworn to secrecy. So I, I feel like I knew for a pretty long time. And I knew that there was a lot of trickery going on, that he was not written into the final script. At the final table read, there was a scene between Dwight and Steve, but it was written between Dwight and Creed, and Creed read the lines at the final table read. And that was because they did not want anyone at the network to know that Steve was coming back. It was a huge secret.
5: They didn't want NBCPR to, like,
7: yeah, to, to, to blitz tease it, it Yes. And, and and to ruin the surprise of yes. Steve being in the finale.
5: Yeah, um, what's your memory from that? Were you more laughy or cryy? Like in the table reads?
7: Oh, I think I cried a little bit every single day. I was a crier at the table read. I was crying. Uh, that was really emotional. That last table read. Chris Workman, our camera operator assistant. Took uh, a photo of that last table read that Angela has blown up in her house on her wall. That is fantastic of that last moment right after we said the last line. And then I remember that Pam has the last line of the show. And they had originally scheduled it so that that would be the very last thing we shoot. And I think it was John or some other people said, Oh man well, we don't all want to be wrapped. And then Jenna has this talking head. And and Greg said something like, oh, yeah, yeah, we got to have the last scene be with everybody. And after I finished my talking head, we shot the B-roll of me taking the picture off the wall and all of us walking out the door. And we did it, I don't know how many times, five or six. But we would take the thing off the wall and all walk out And then we would all stand off camera by the elevator, Yep. all of us, many of us crammed by this elevator, and there would be this moment where we would wait to see if they were going to say, cut, going again, or cut, that's a wrap. And I'm getting choked up just thinking about that, because those seconds of waiting, and every time I just wanted them to say, cut, going again, because I knew when they said, that's a wrap, that that was a wrap, That was it. I'd never shoot The Office again. And when they said that's a wrap, I just burst into tears and started hugging the closest people (laughs) that I could find. And and it was it was really it was just really, really crazy and emotional.
5: Yeah. Will you play that?
7: I thought it was weird when you picked us to make a documentary. But all in all I think an ordinary paper company like Dunder Mifflin was a great subject for a documentary. There's a lot of beauty in ordinary things. Isn't that kind of the point?
5: To me, that's, that's what Greg thinks it was about, that there's a lot of beauty in ordinary things. What do you think it was about?
7: Oh, Greg Daniels. I think that's what it was about. Yeah, I do. I also, um, I always thought selfishly because it was my job to view the show through my character. It's not lost on me that when Pam was ready to break free of Dunder Mifflin, the show ended. So I always kind of thought it was the journey of a girl becoming a woman, finding herself, going out into the world. When we meet her, she's trapped. Behind this desk. And she sort of slowly moves to sales and then finds the man she loves and starts this family. And then when she's really ready, she really fights against leaving. And then when she's ready to go, it's all over. Because the documentary doesn't stop when Michael leaves. So it's not really a documentary about Michael Scott. Mm -hmm. You know, they decided to stop making the documentary when Pam leaves.
5: That's so interesting.
0: Hey, everyone. This is Get It to Dutch, a screenwriter's journey. I'm Mark. I'm Greg. I'm Brendan. And in this new comedy podcast, the three of us play aspiring screenwriters on a quest to get a hit Hollywood script to famous producer... Dutch
1: Huxley. Well, I would say one of us is aspiring and the other two are sort of struggling. Which one of us is aspiring? Well, they're going to have to listen to the podcast. Hmm, but I don't know and I made the podcast. Well, I made the
0: podcast and I think you guys were along for the ride. Oh. Each week we bring in a script, we read it, and then we give each other notes. And you'll also hear about our adventures navigating the Hollywood
1: system. The show features amazing guests like Tim Robinson, Lily Sullivan, Weird Al Yankovic, and Rob Hubel. like any great blockbuster, it's filled with heartbreak,
0: adventure, suspense, and just a little tasteful nudity. And some distasteful nudity.
1: uh, Sorry about that, guys. Listen to Get It to Dutch, a screenwriter's journey, starting May 9th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
6: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host.
4: a story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.
8: Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station it's always the feeling when you're getting ready. To, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: Do you think the office could be made today?
7: No. I don't think it could. Why? Well, I don't know if it could be made today. It's a good question. Well, first of all, something I want to point out, or a question I want to ask you is, people always ask us if we're all really friends in real life. Mm-hmm. And I don't even think saying that we're friends in real life accurately communicates how deeply I feel for you and everybody. It's a, like a love of family. Like, I can't explain it. Do you think if we'd made this show... In the age of smartphones and whatnot, that we would be as deeply connected. Like, don't you think, like the, the circumstances of us being trapped on that set for the first season with no working computers, no phones, no internet, nothing, just a troop of actors and artists trapped in a room for 12 hours a day playing. We never absorbed ourselves in our phones or emails or other work or anything. And I think that that lent itself to part of the magic. And I just wonder if, if you tried to put us all in a room today, I don't know, wouldn't we just have our phones and our desks?
5: I think that maybe. I don't know. Maybe. I think that we, for sure, what I think is we were a collective group of people with differing backgrounds and experiences and training It was like we were an old-time theater troupe. Yes. Stuck together. And we weren't all famous. No. We came from a place of just wanting to do good work.
7: Well, when Lee and I got married, I had invited a girlfriend of mine that I'd gone to high school with from St. Louis. And she was so excited to come to the wedding. And she said, are there going to be famous people there? You know? And I said, no, not really. We're not really friends with a lot of famous people, you know? And then she was like, well, are the cast members from the office going to be there? I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, they'll be there. And she was like, well, they're famous. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot. <laughs> but even now today, I don't think of us that way. I still always think of us as the people in the room before anyone cared <laughs> or yes. anyone knew who we were. Totally. And so being on that journey together as well, I think really bonded us. But – I don't know if we could make the show today. It's, it's really hard to say. It was such a moment in time. Can you make a show today with total unknowns? I don't know. Silicon Valley, kind of? Well, There's other shows? Um, well, let
5: me ask. Why do you think the show is more popular now than it was when it was on?
7: My answer is very simple. The show is excellent. It's excellent. It is excellent absolutely brilliantly executed and it holds up because it's just that good really but you know it's funny i started this podcast with angela yes where we watch an episode of the office we started from the beginning office ladies yes yes we break it down this was not my this is not a plug moment <laughs> I was gonna no, get we, were,
5: we were about to go <laughs> no, there in a no, minute
7: no. but anyway go ahead no what i was gonna say is Angela and I are doing this podcast and we have to watch an episode of The Office and then we discuss it. So I've been watching the show from the very beginning.
5: Had you watched the show since they aired? No. You had not.
7: I had seen a few here and there. I had seen The Dinner Party. I had I had been in a trailer on a job and I had a teeny tiny television. Mounted to the wall of my trailer. It was so small.
5: She's not joking right now. She just held up her fingers and showed three inches. I, did. I don't think the television it was, was three. No, now it's it was, more like five inches. It
7: was smaller than a laptop screen, it was very tiny. Okay. And it's so, I was so, that's what she said. I was so tickled by it that I took a picture and I sent it to Steve and John and Ed and Angela and all of us who had been in that scene where we were laughing so hard at Michael's tiny flat screen TV and then that made me want to watch that episode so then I went and watched the dinner party episode and then a few examples of things like that where you're flipping through and you it, an episode comes on or something like that but no i have not seen most of these episodes since they aired right so it's been really cool for me and i have to say i really get why people are so excited about the show. Like, as I watch it again, I'm really watching it almost as a fan. Yes. And it's weird that I'm on it in some ways. It's weird that I'm watching myself. I've always thought it was weird that you were on it. Oh, really, Brian? I always thought it was. Is that a fact? I don't know. But before I started doing that, I was on Greg to do a reunion special or revive the office in some way selfishly because I just want to work with all you all again and because I know Steve has a really good idea. And I thought, oh, let's get Steve's idea going. Come on, Greg. Come on, Greg. You got to do it. Well, now that I've been rewatching the show, I wrote Greg an email (laughs) recently and I said, Greg, um, I don't think you should reopen the show. (laughs) It's... It is so perfect, just as it is. Like, I don't think we should now. I was such a champion for doing it for so long. And now I'm realizing maybe it's exactly perfect, just as it is. And you don't want to have this weird extra seven years later episode that we made. Um I don't know.
5: Well, see, here's we the- We do have an here's unproduced the beauty episode. Is I have the, here's the beauty is I have the ability to edit out whatever I say right now. Uh-huh. I have no interest in it. In doing in, it. In a reunion episode. Mm. Yes.
7: But have you heard Steve's idea?
5: I, it's a great idea.
7: <laughs> it a is great, a good idea. It's a great idea. What if we did it in Scranton, Brian? <sighs> what if that's the thing- That we come back for is we shoot an episode finally in Scranton, Steve's idea.
5: All right. I'm tempting you. We'll discuss it later.
7: But at the same time, I I think the show is just perfect as it is. Although we do have an unproduced episode, Pet Day. There's one episode of The Office called Pet Day. Well,
5: it wasn't that, shot.
7: That we never shot. Yes. That's right. I have the script. I have
5: one too. You do? I have one too. In fact, I signed scripts, obviously, to give away to charities. Yeah. I have a gigantic box yeah. of scripts that- because we would get multiple per week. It yeah. was not great for the environment. But no. we would get multiple. and they're in my garage in boxes and I reached in and grabbed one and it was Pet Day.
7: Pet Day. And
5: I thought, what if I had signed that and s- I mean, thank goodness I looked at what the title was. Yeah. Cuz that could have been true. I could have gotten in trouble for that.
7: Well, I said to Greg, what if we do a special where we just do a staged reading of Pet Day? And we all come together and we read Pet Day.
5: But wasn't there a reason we didn't do Pet
7: Day? Animal cruelty? Oh. I believe was the reason we didn't do pet day <laughs> because there's like some <laughs> awful bird death in it or something. I can't well, remember. We ended
5: up having a bird death we and did. a porcupine in Dwight's desk.
7: We did. And, and Angela a throws a cat in the ceiling. And, and Angela
5: throws a cat and one gets frozen. Yeah. And no, there's, Greg must not like animals. Um, is there anything else? Anything else that you want covered that you feel like we, Didn't, I mean, obviously there's so much.
7: I know, I know, I don't know. But you did,
5: you were very good.
7: Can't think of anything really. I think something that's really interesting to talk about too, because you talk about how there were like the theater people and the comedians, and then there were the improv people, but there were also all of these ways that we were weirdly connected like that Phyllis and I both grew up in St. Louis, as did Ken Quapis. He grew up in Belleville, Illinois, which is basically St. Louis. And then also our AD, Rusty Mahmood, grew up in St. Louis. So there were four of us St. Louisans. Then there were a bunch of those Boston guys. You've got John and Steve and BJ and Mike Schur. Yep. Then the fact that like BJ and John went to the same high school – And Ed
5: and I went to the same high school.
7: Yes, you and Ed went to the same high school, and Angela and Oscar were in an improv group together, and she walked on set and was like, oh, my God, Oscar, you got cast in this? It was a complete shock to her. She'd done improv with Kate. So there were these ways where we'd all been kind of circling each other in this weird way, and then all – Finally came together. There were so many coincidences in how we were connected.
5: Totally. Yes. I remember shooting a scene for a webisodes and was in the annex, camera on me. I was shooting a talking head, and suddenly I saw Ed Helms walking behind the per and I was like, Ed, what? What are you? And he was there to meet with Greg and about joining the show. This was between season two and three. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, thank you so much. Yeah. I love you.
7: Oh, Brian.
5: I I appreciate you coming in. I hope this has been some fun.
7: I could talk for hours about our show. I love that you're doing this because I want to hear what everybody says.
5: Yeah. Well, there you go. Love you. Oh, I love you too, Brian. Thank you. That is a wrap on Jenna Fisher here at The Office Deep Dive. Jenna, thank you so much for sharing your time with us. I mean, look, I didn't want to say this to your face, but I think that we all know Kevin was the real emotional core of The Office. I mean, you can keep
3: thinking Pam,
5: but I say it's Kev, KevDog. Uh, but you were so great here, I'm going to let you have it. I'll even forgive the fact that you're a Cardinals fan. Go Dodgers. Listeners, thank you so much for joining us. (laughs) Even all you Cardinals fans. And get ready, because next week, oh, it's the big one, folks. (laughs) It's the big kahuna, the big cheese, the big guy upstairs, Steve Carell. Have a great week. The Office Deep Dive is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Baumgartner, alongside our executive producer, Lang Lee. Our senior producer is Tessa Kramer. Our associate producer is Emily Carr. And our assistant editor is Diego Tapia. My main man in the booth is Alec Moore. Our theme song, Bubble and Squeak, performed by my great friend Creed Bratton. And the episode was mixed by Seth Olansky.
0: If you love comedy movies and Hollywood satire, you're going to
1: want to listen to a brand new podcast called Get It to Dutch. In Get It to Dutch, we play three aspiring screenwriters on a quest to get a script to big-time Hollywood producer Dutch Huxley. Each week on the podcast, we perform a movie script right before your ears. It's like going to a movie with your eyes closed. And
0: we have amazing guest stars, including Tim Robinson, Rob Hubel, Lily Sullivan, Jamie
1: Moyer, and Weird Al Yankovic. Listen to Get It to Dutch, a screenwriter's journey starting May 9th on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke.
4: Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Jon Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late-night legend Jon Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now this is a second term we can all get behind.